Search goes on in San Francisco for the man known as the Zodiac Killer. In New York, the search continues for the 44 caliber killer. See if you can explain to me why I would want to be a Scientologist. Betches Media presents... Tell me we have a lead. Stone Cold, no. It was literally like the Hunger Games. Not another true crime podcast. What can I say? Tough titties. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm here by myself. Hannah is currently on a plane to come to New York. Um, And I'm here interviewing Shondrea Thomas, who is one of the hosts of a new Oxygen special airing on November 3rd and 4th. It's called The Disappearance of Phoenix Colden. And we will actually be covering this disappearance in a later episode. Um... Hi, Chandra. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you. You know, it's my first trip to New York City. Oh, wow. So I'm learning a lot already. (laughs) (laughs) The people, the people are all over. Yeah. Apologies on behalf of all of us. We're probably not as nice as people you might be used to. (laughs) Oh, it's all good. It's all good. So Chandra is a journalist. Um, She's been a journalist for how many years? Wow. 12 years. Wow. 12 years. So I did want to talk to you about um, where you're from and your mm-hmm. background and mm-hmm. what brought you to St. Louis. Uh, well, I was born in California um, <laughs> and my family moved to Arizona when I was about nine. And so I went to school in Arizona, uh, graduated from Arizona State University, went to the Cronkite School, nice. Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Telecommunications. <laughs> okay. And then um, and at that point, actually, interestingly enough, um, I wanted to be a reporter, but I also knew that I had to have a backup plan because you never know how the news business can go. So I did a mm-hmm. double major. I have like a black history degree as well. Cool. And And so um, I worked other jobs and things like that until I was able to get into a reporting position. And that happened in 2006, January of 2006. I started working uh, in a small market, Market 160-something. It was Midland, Texas. Yes, yes, yes. That's where I started. I was actually part of a minority training program Mm -hmm. to help minorities get a foot in the door because I tried for like three years to get in to like put, I was pushing my resume tape out and had no luck. And finally, I ended up getting into this program and they placed me for, you know, for, for that position in Midland, Odessa. And then I went from there to Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made it after a year, which I made like a jump from 160 to market 32. All right. So it was like sink that or swim. Sound, that sounds like it's good. I, are the markets kind of ranked by numbers? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like New York is like, you know, number one, LA two, okay, Chicago okay, three. Cool. So, um, so I made my way. I jumped from market 160 to market 32. And I was like, whoo, you know, within a year. <laughs> All right. And then so I was in Columbus, Ohio for a few years. Then I went to Orlando. I worked mm-hmm. in Orlando for a minute. And then I jumped to St. Louis, and I've been in St. Louis the last seven years. Wow. All right. You bounced around a lot. Just a little. (laughs) Just a little. Yeah. So what types of cases do you typically cover as a reporter? Um, You know, as a general assignment reporter, you you cover everything from crime to, you know, I was in the middle of Ferguson when Ferguson happened. Yeah. So that was very intense and very eye-opening, that whole experience for everyone, Mm -hmm. for news, everyone involved. Um, And so, you know, I cover crime, everyday crime, you know, in St. Louis, um, uh, weather. I mean, I'm a general assignment reporter, Mm -hmm. typically, so I can cover a variety of things, health, you know, those feel good stories too. these, you know, human interest stories. So, but I covered mostly crime. Okay. What do you think is the hardest part about your job? 
<sighs> you know, I think the hardest part um, for me has been, um, especially when I worked in Columbus and some of that I, fe- I felt in St. Louis as well, is um, when you have the shootings. And, oh. uh, you know, when I was working in Columbus, I remember there was one summer where there was almost a shooting literally every day or every other day. Oh and these are young people under 25 years old, you know, teenagers to like 25. And so yeah, I almost got to the point where all the moms actually knew me because I was a reporter who would get the families to talk to me. And mm-hmm. I always made sure that I tried to capture the essence of, you know, you know, of their children. And so I kind of they got attached to me in a way because I was always a person out there like doing my best to tell the story about their child Mm -hmm. and so that for me was very emotionally draining because I was empathizing with them and so I think that's the hardest part when you see people in such pain and agony to be able to to deal with that and carry that yeah and I definitely agree I mean even through researching this podcast I'm so far removed from any topic that I'm researching but it's even that, it's like emotionally taxing when you're going into those people who are losing their children or mm-hmm. I think even worse is when you don't know what happened to them mm-hmm. and I'm just reading about it and I'm like having trouble sleeping at night. So I can't imagine like mm-hmm. actually being, mm-hmm. I guess, on the front line, so to speak. Yeah. And I mean, just imagine, you know, the Coldens, you know, Goldia and right. Lawrence, you know, going through s- almost seven years now of not having any clue as to where their child is, their only child on top of that. You know, so it, it's 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 torture. I mean, Goldia has said it is it is torture. And she said that, you know, I remember her saying to me that her daughter almost was her reason for living because mm-hmm. she put so much time and, and, and effort into raising her and trying to make her, you know, raise her to be a good person. Yeah. And so to have her kind of at her prime just vanish. Yeah. And I did read like a lot about Phoenix. She was in a choir. She was super bright. She, mm-hmm. It just seemed by all accounts like she would have had a really bright future ahead of her. So, yeah, I can't imagine having that kind of ripped away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to talk about Phoenix Holden's experience. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you are one of the few local reporters who's been covering your case mm-hmm. since the beginning. Is that right? Mm hmm. Um, so when did you first hear about this? I'm guessing in 2011. Yeah, it was very interesting, too, because um, Phoenix disappeared on December the 18th of 2011. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find out about her case until like January the 25th. Wow. It's actually when the day when the story aired. An intern came in that day and had a flyer that was because she was a, a UMSL student, University of Missouri, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So she brought in a flyer from campus, it was young black, you know, female student intern. And she said, hey, these flyers are all around campus. This girl is missing. And I was like, what? So we, I took the flyer and I was like, hey, you know, I went into the to the news meeting. I'm like, look, we need to do this story. I had, you know, there's, there was a little bit of a detail about what happened. Her car was left in East St. Louis, which is a very rough part of that whole region, St. Louis region, mm-hmm. it's, and, and a really bad part of the worst part of the region on oh, top wow. of that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so so her, her blazer, uh, Chevy blazer was found there, and I said, hey, we need to do this story. So that day, I pushed for that story, and I shot the story myself to make sure that story aired. And so when I showed up to the Colden house, um, you know, it was really kind of wild to see their front door it's like a glass door. Then they have these huge uh, windows, you know, floor to ceiling uh, windows in front mm. of their house, plastered with the missing persons uh, flyers oh. of, of Phoenix. So when you walk up, you kind of get a sense like, oh, man, you know. And yeah. then when I walked into the house and I met Goldie, I was just like, man, she looked she was like so lost. She was so lost. And you can tell that she was in, in misery and in pain for mm-hmm. not, you know, having her daughter there with her. 
And so, um, yeah, I mean, that was really kind of a crazy thing. And on top of that, once I finished, you know, once the story aired that day, I stayed on top of it. I followed up with the story. Mm -hmm. And then I made sure that as the time went on, I helped to keep the story alive. Yeah, that is important because when I was researching the case, even when you typed it into Google, I had to type almost her full name before even an auto-suggest popped up. There, It just seemed there was no information on her. Mm-hmm. So I did want to talk about um, mm-hmm. why you think the coverage has been um, kind of sparse on Phoenix. In mm-hmm. one of our earlier episodes, we talked about the disappearance of Lawrence Spearer, who went missing in um, Indiana, and mm-hmm. it was all over the news, and Stephen Colbert tweeted about it, Kim Kardashian, but I think Phoenix disappeared under even stranger mm-hmm. circumstances, and it's not very well covered until now, I guess. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about that, especially when it comes down to what the Coldens said they experienced in the beginning of the investigation into her disappearance, Mm -hmm. um, they felt like they weren't getting the traction that they needed for the story. And so to me, from my perspective as a reporter, I look at it like this. I think it comes down to an issue that's been a problem for years that journalists have been talking about, and that boils down to a lack of diversity in a newsroom. Mm -hmm. If you don't have people from management to producers and your talent who truly reflect the community that you're living in and that you're serving as a news outlet, Mm -hmm. then stories will fall between the cracks because you don't have those people to really express why certain stories should be covered and why they're important. Like I was in that meeting that day saying, hey, we need to cover this story. This is important. And I explained why. And if you don't have that voice, the story probably won't see the light of day. Okay. So yeah, you were advocating for this. Mm Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about the circumstances of the disappearance. Um, And you did mention that you are kind of familiar with East St. Louis, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, So just for people who are listening, and we'll delve into this in the Mm -hmm. episode, but um, Phoenix basically had left her house. Um, She took the car. The car was later found with the engine running with no sign of her um, in East St. Louis, Illinois, which is not a great area. And also... It was found in traffic, not parked. Yeah. That's right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read on Reddit from people who claim to be like familiar with the area that that's kind of common in carjackings where someone might like take the car, leave it, and then like dump it even with the engine running. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know if that was something that you'd heard. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that um, some people are wondering, does something happen on the Missouri side of the river and someone dumped the car in St. Louis? There's oh, been that ru- there's been that rumor. Um, a rumor of, you know, East St. Louis has also been an area where cars traditionally get dumped, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, crimes that were committed in other other places. And so it's not uncommon for a, a car to be found engine running or not, you know, in East St. Louis. The interesting thing, the interesting thing about this, though, is that her car was found within two hours of her leaving her parents house. Right. Which is kind of crazy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in itself. And so something happened within like a short period of time to her and that car ended there, you know, ended up there. Mm-hmm. And, and actually in the area of where her car was found or her blazer, it was at that time, it was a high prostitution, oh. drug activity area mm-hmm. and things like that. Ho- uh, you know, a hotel there that, that was, you know, has some, you know, unsavory things going on. So it was absolutely the worst part of town to wow. even have your to be period. 
Yeah, and Phoenix, like, went to church. She was right. in college. It seemed very weird that she would even be there at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was kind of wondering if, um, well, basically, there was kind of a huge lapse in time between mm-hmm. the car being reported and the Coldens even finding out that the car right. had been found. Do you think part of that is because the police maybe saw the car and were like, oh, maybe this is dumb from a jacking and just, like, didn't care to investigate it further i I think uh part of that is the fact that it it crossed state lines Mm -hmm. and that phoenix um wasn't reported missing until after her car was found okay so her car was found so soon after her you know she was reported like what the 19th you know the the next day december 19th yeah but the thing about it her car was found on december 18th at 5 5 28 in the the evening Mm -hmm. so she hadn't even been reported missing yet so that car wouldn't even have been connected to a missing person does that make sense yeah okay so they so, didn't really know yeah, what to yeah. do with the info yet yeah and it was across state lines too so mm-hmm. it could be some stuff going on with that too so I, that was kind of a weird thing but yeah that is weird other another weird thing is i heard in an interview that the coldens did that even well i guess this was in 2014 was the interview but even at that point the police had never actually formally let them know that their car was impounded yeah, th- that's exactly right, because the, the car was basically listed as like a, probably as like a, a dumped, stolen car or something okay. like that, towed that same night within, you know, t- however many minutes of it sitting in the middle of the street. Right. And then, you know, a family friend actually who lives in East St. Louis found out that the, that the Blazer was in the tow, tow lot and called them up and said, hey, your daughter's car is in the tow lot. And that's how they found out about the car. Isn't that's just crazy. Yeah, that's so, I don't even understand. And was that family friend in law enforcement? Like, how did he know that it was there? Yeah, I I believe so. I think he was like a training for some some sort of law enforcement. He listened to scanners and stuff like that, from what I understand. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems like the circumstances of the disappearance were really strange. Is there any other case that comes to mind that was kind of similar? You know, I have never, ever encountered a case like this. Um where a person vanished quickly and that their vehicle is found so soon after and there is no trace of them. There's no credit card activity, no cell phone activity, no social media activity. It's like she just literally vanished. Mm -hmm. All of her existence just ceased that day. And I've never, never, this is one of the biggest mysteries of my career. I've never, career, I would say, I've never had a mystery like this one. Yeah, I mean, what do you think is the most frustrating aspect about this case I I think um when it comes to that I think that the time that's gone by and I think people may have information that they're holding on to Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and I'm hoping with this time that's passed that people will kind of you know release that information to give us more insight into what happened because you know someone out there knows something right yeah Mm -hmm. I mean someone has to know something they're just not saying it people don't just like vanish and Mm -hmm. I I mean it seemed from what I read that it didn't really seem likely that Phoenix would have just run away. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about how you got involved with Oxygen. How did that happen? Well, actually, um, producers uh, from the production company Lucky 8 mm-hmm. reached out to me because they had dis- realized that I had covered the story. And so when I gave them, you know, information about how I covered the story and my thoughts about, you know, the issue of, of missing women of color, you know, in the region, because I've covered a lot of different cases in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. 
um, of missing missing women, you know. And so they they just thought I would be, you know, a good fit for for the series. At that point, I don't know what my involvement was going to be, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. And it turned out to be a little bit more than I than I had yeah. ever imagined. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I think also though that ultimately I'm glad that my voice is the voice mm-hmm. that's speaking for this for this particular issue Definitely. and for the and for Phoenix too. Definitely. Um, are there other women or men who've disappeared that you want to like mention or you think people should mm-hmm. know about? Um, there's a Shamika Cozy. Mm-hmm. There's Kelly Allen. Um, there's a lot of, you know, cases in the St. Louis area um, of women who are still missing, have been missing for years under mysterious circumstances. Um, at one point, I remember um, when I was covering some of the stories of the, the various uh, missing women in the St. Louis region, someone actually, one of the moms was like, I think there's a serial killer, you know, out here somewhere. Wow. Yeah. I mean, one of the moms even had actually thought that. And so that's been a conversation that that's come up multiple times when I've covered these stories through the years, which is kind of interesting. And I'm sure police are, you know, doing their thing to look into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that's actually come up, which is pretty wild. Wow, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to ask how people listening to this could possibly help if they know anything, if they mm-hmm. want to donate. I know that the Coldens had been victim of this like terrible hoax in 2012 mm-hmm. and they lost a lot from it. Yeah. Do you know any resources where people might be able to help? Um, I think the Coldens do have um, a fund set up. That okay. information is pro- should be on their on their Facebook page. Okay. And the really sad part about it too is that you know they have been they had gone through numerous investigators to help them with the case, mm-hmm. and spent their pretty much their life savings. They lost their house, you know, or eventually had to leave their home and things like that. So there was a lot of I mean, on top of the stress of you know not knowing where your child is, then you have to figure out okay, financially we're in ruins right now, trying to find our you know our our yeah. child. So. Can you give us a little preview of what we can expect from the special? Um, I can say that with my with my partner, uh, Joe D'Elia, mm-hmm. who is a retired deputy uh, police chief in, Saint, in the St. Louis area, um, we both actually um, took a deep dive. You want to talk about going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> like, whew, I mean, there were nights where my head was spinning and I couldn't sleep thinking about, you know, I had one theory and then I was 100%, 100% certain that that theory was correct. Mm-hmm. The next day I get this mind-boggling mind-blowing information that sends me into a completely different direction in the case oh wow and then i'm thinking oh i'm set on this right here and then something else happens you know so we go through this emotional twist and turn type of situation and journey and and i think you'll see that because and i think you'll feel that because i'm very i think it's written all over my face, you know, <laughs> whatever's happening. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, I think you can see it in, in my reactions to a lot of things that, that took place um, throughout the investigation. There is also a lot of fact and fiction stuff that we get cleared up. Okay. A lot of rumors um, surrounding the family, surrounding the case that we pretty much, we, we put to we, bed. We, yeah, we put to bed. And some things that we really clarify and get factual, actual factual information about. Okay, that'll so. be great because it is kind of hard to find facts. There's a lot of speculation out there. Mm-hmm. So after the special, what's next for you? I need to find a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the other part about this, which is, um, you know, the decision to do this project, in order for me to, to actually do the series, I had to walk away from my anchor position in St. Louis. And so I had to pray about it, talk to my husband about it. You know, it was scary leaving, leaving my job to do this, but mm-hmm. something inside of me said, you need to do this. Like, it was like I was called to do this. 
Yeah. And so I, I took the chance and I did it. I mean, I, yeah, I need to go find a job now, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm educated. I can find a job. Yeah, maybe I'll move up to market one this time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, you know, that, that's how important I thought this was. And I, I thought it was important not only um, to do the story about Phoenix, but also just the issue in general about pe- women of color, people of color being mm-hmm. covered in the media. And I think it can hopefully open up the discussion about that particular issue and, you know, help that in, the, in different newsrooms. Definitely. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for coming. Mm-hmm. This was really great. And you've helped shed a lot of light on this disappearance and all the circumstances surrounding it. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me come in. And I want to hear the rest of your uh, your other edition, your extended. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully we <laughs> get it right. Let us know if we okay, have I'll so many be- fiction pieces in there. Hopefully not. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be observing <laughs> and listening. Great. Thank you so much. And um, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Pod and rate and review on iTunes and you can follow Shandrea Thomas on my Facebook page (laughs) Shandrea Thomas journalist I have a Twitter page Instagram I need help with Instagram it's pretty bad right now (laughs) my numbers are so low Um, so thank you very much I appreciate it thanks so much Betches